there a doctor in the house? Doctor, doctor, give me the news. I got a bad case of loving you. Doctor. 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 And doctor. It's time for Advanced Medicine Monday with Dr. Rashid Batar. I'm a doctor, not a bricklayer. I'm a doctor, not a mechanic. I'm a doctor, not a coal miner. The doctor is in. Kicking it higher into gear right now on Advanced Medicine Monday here on the Robert Scad Bell Show. One of my favorite times as we launch the weekday, and it is the second hour on Mondays. It is Dr. Rashid Batar. He's back with me. Dr. Batar, so glad to have you back on board. Always good to be here, Robert. Well, it's been quite an exciting weekend in, the, in terms of political stuff going on and, and people you know, getting more aware of the issues of freedom, pointing out more of the absurdities of those who don't get it and they think freedom is slavery and vice versa. But when we, when we talk, we can certainly comment on a lot of that. I, I don't mean to drive you right into politics because we have fun discussing that. But I thought first and foremost, maybe we can launch with the idea of patient compliance. I, I don't like the idea of compliance because it sounds sort of like, well, you must comply. But I understand it too. As a homeopath, people come to me and they look for help. And I say, look, these are the things my experience shows you need to do. Now, if you don't want to do it, that's cool. I respect you, but it's not going to help me to help you. However, there's big controversy and there's a big story on USA Today recently about this where patients don't seemingly tell their doctors everything about what they do or don't do. I have a sense that when they come to see you, Dr. Batar, they're, pull, they're fully forthright. They're willing to tell you anything. You know, this is an interesting uh, subject because one of the greatest frustrations, I think, in medicine overall for physicians is patient compliance. And you've probably heard people, when I say people, doctors complaining about how patients won't follow the instructions. You know, doc, it hurts every time I do this. Well, then why are you doing it? Don't do it type of thing. <laughs> yes. you know, so doctors have a lot of frustration with that. And... I think the reason that patients don't tell their doctors a lot is because they inherently have a um, conflict within themselves because they know that they need to go see the doctor because that's what they're supposed to do when they're sick. But at the same time, they know based upon past experience and, and family history of seeing other family members and friends that have had similar problems that haven't gotten better. And there's a greater growing distrust among the general population for the uh, general medical profession as it mm-hmm. is. So I think that that issue of patients not telling their doctors everything mm-hmm. and not being forthright with them is a great uh, frustration for most physicians. And as you just stated, I think for you probably it's very different just like it is for me because I honestly have no issue whatsoever with patient compliance. You know, I tell my patients I've uh, I've been blessed that I have the luxury of choosing my patients. Right. We've talked and, about uh, that. That's an unusual thing. And people will say, well, that that's kind of arrogant. I say, no, no, no. If you really want to be helped by your doctor, you want your doctor to be choosy because you don't want a doctor that's going to take any old thing on just because he wants patients. I mean, I, that doesn't make sense. If your goal is healing, you want this kind of alliance that two people are coming together and you've got the same goal and you're willing to work together. If not, of course, it's frustrating for you, it's frustrating for the doctor, and then you don't get well. Absolutely. I mean, this is not a a la carte, hey, I'll do this part, I don't want to do that part. You know, I'll ask a patient, for instance, example, I don't treat patients that are smokers. Now, I've had many people that have come to me that do smoke, but I tell them up front, I don't take care of smokers, so you want to be my patient, you got to stop smoking. If not, it was nice meeting you, have a nice day, have a nice life. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I've never had a patient that have said, oh, you know, I won't uh, I won't quit. Most people want to want to uh, try and start quitting. I mean, that's that's why they're there. They're there to get better, and so they're willing to do whatever it takes. But you know, in the 
rare circumstance that I have a patient where I can tell that they're not fully committed, I'll ask them simply, how committed are you to mm. getting better? Or how committed are you to breaking this bad habit? Let's say smoking, for example. Yeah. And, you know, I'll have somebody say, you know, 80%. I'll say, okay, good. And then I'll start writing and right in front of them. I'll say, okay, patient committed to 80% um, effort to stop smoking. And I, as their physician, will commit 80% effort to getting them better. And I'm writing <laughs> this down and talking out loud. Yes. And you should see their face. It metamorphosizes. Whoa, whoa, wait a second, doc. What do you mean you only have 80%? Yes. You know, what the hell do you expect from me? If you're not willing to put in 100%, how do you expect somebody else to do right, something when they, right. it's not even their health? Well, I'm, gonna, I, I'm here to do a job to get you better. I'm not here to stroke you, make you feel good, mm-hmm. you know, tell you what a great person you are. You want to do that? Go down to the family doc down the street and down. If I have to get in your face to get you better, I'm going to do it. Mm. But I take my job seriously and I expect you to take your role seriously in the patient-doctor relationship. If you're not willing to take it seriously – then I don't have time to take care of you because I've got other people that need help. Right. And I think that that attitude, and you know, I've I've been told many times before that hmm. I'm I have an arrogant bedside manner, and <laughs> I tell them that I had a patient actually. This is a funny story. Um, mm-hmm. She was a morbidly obese, uh, type two diabetic, brittle, brittle diabetic in uh, renal failure, who came to me, and this woman, while she was getting her treatments, would sit there and have candy bars in her purse. Eating behind, you know, like without letting anybody know. And my nursing staff would come, Doctor Bichar, you know, Miss So and So, she's got another candy bar. Oh my gosh! And I remember, I walked in there, and I, I mean, I really chewed her out. I had my nursing staff come in into the exam room, took her away from, the, you know, apart from the other patients, and I told her. I, I mean, I laid it out to her. I mean, I just laid it out, and she was upset. She was almost in tears, and I told her, I said, "Look, you want to die? That's your choice. Uh, I have no problem with that, but you are not going to die." while being my patient. It is not going to happen. It's not going to be in my watch. Hmm. And I laid it out. She ended up telling one of my nursing staff that she goes, Dr. Bittar has the worst bedside manner. And then <laughs> she kind of paused and my nurse was laughing. She told me, she goes, but she said, also said that she would never trust anybody else except for you as being her doctor. <laughs> so, yes. you know, the thing is that I think people want the honest truth mm-hmm. and um, that compliance issue, the reason I think most people, most patients aren't forthright with their doctors is because inherently deep within themselves, I don't think they trust the system anymore. Right. And, and this transcends medicine. This goes into the politics and the economy and everything else we see around ourselves right now. And medicine is just a part and parcel of it. It's probably a greater part, yet although more subdued and people don't hear about it as much as we hear about the economic crisis and the political aspects, etc. Sure. But I think it's probably much more um, indicative of what's going on with society as far as the flaws and the and the and the um, you know under what do you call the the, uh, the I call it the seething underbelly. <laughs> yes, that's it. That's a yeah. great way of putting it, the seething underbelly. We don't actually see it; it's not as perceivable, but it's yeah. there, and it's actually m- more inherent and more indicative with what's pro- what's problematic. Yeah. Uh, with the entire system. Yeah, I think that the docs, you know, again, we don't indict every doc. You know that. But we talk candidly and honestly about the system where, you know, we deal with and, and some of the people. I mean, honestly, there are a lot of good people out there that are trying to do their level best. And we, we laud them, applaud them and want them, you know, on board with what we do here. But honestly, there are a lot that get into the system, get chewed up, and then they, they just kind of lose the reason that they may have gotten into it. And I think to some degree, the patients go, well, why should I tell my doctor the truth? They can tell the doctor's not into it. And, of course, if 
the patient actually talks to them about, let's say, a dietary supplement or two or a homeopathic medicine, they're often ridiculed, marginalized, even though the doctor may or may not have ever studied anything on it. And so it really doesn't breed a good relationship or rapport. But then again, sometimes those are the patients that don't want to know the truth. That's why they continue to subject themselves to what I would call medical neglect. You know, medical neglect is not when a parent doesn't vaccinate the child. It's when the doctor doesn't do the work to be, you know, up to speed on what really is going on. And it's hard for a physician to instill confidence in the individual if, as you stated, they ridicule or uh, really don't know what they're talking about. And the patient clearly knows that they don't know what they're talking about because it's not their area of expertise and they've never spent any time or invested any effort into learning about that particular mode that the patient may be questioning or may be inquiring on. Mm. So I think you're absolutely right. This is something that, um, you know, it it breeds contempt. So the patients end up feeling more... um, alienated i guess sure, and uh, sure. so they just go to the doctor because insurance is going to pay for it they get whatever you know quick fix they need but they're they're not going to tell them everything and mm-hmm. in fact i'll tell you i have patients of my own that are seeing other doctors uh-huh. and they ask me you know should i continue seeing my other doctor and i say absolutely you know i don't take care of primary care stuff so you know anything like that you should go and because uh, already the medical board said you know that for me to tell a in fact this is inherent for the whole medical profession for a doctor to tell another uh, to tell a patient not to go see another doctor is considered, quote, unethical. Yeah. So I encourage my patients to go and see anybody else. You know, sure. I, I tell them that's their, that's their own and, business. You know, and I'm not even bound by any of those ethical rules because I'm not part of the medical system. But I also I agree. I said, listen, it's not for me to say don't see your doctor. I want to give you all the information I know about so you can make an informed decision about the path that you want to go. It's not for me to stand in your way. I just want to help you along the way to make better decisions. Absolutely. And in fact, you know, Robert, I'll tell you, this is my secret weapon. I tell them to go because I know that once they go to the regular doctor, it's just going to further their <laughs> yes. confidence in me. So yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know what's out there. there. You know, and it's also funny. You mentioned the the, uh, the I guess there's frustration is a good word, too. But the docs also get get gain contempt for the patients because, you know, they're stuck in it and they're not. You know, I don't think that they went into the medical profession to one day realize that their patients knew more than they knew about stuff. I mean, that wasn't the way it was a lot of the 20th century. And over the, the last few couple of decades, for sure, the people have gotten access to information. It, I'm not saying that they're all smarter than doctors, but you know what I mean? They, they've studied now. And the docs are going, gee, that wasn't part of my curriculum. Well, actually, I think that the, would you use the word contempt? Maybe um, not strong enough because it's, it's wow. actually doctors have a tremendous ego. Hmm. You know, almost every healthy person has some level of ego, but – in order to get better, that's one of the things you have to do is let go of your ego. And, of course, doctors are caught in that system, which is very ego-driven anyway, into that conventional system as it is. And the whole medical profession has a tremendous ego. Yeah. And I think there's that it's hard for that ego to maintain its um, egoness, if that's a word, while still allowing somebody else to give input to their own condition. Yeah. I mean, I have a tremendous ego. You know that. But when it comes to patient outcome, mm-hmm. and I think this is where – uh, my patients really know the difference. When it comes to patient outcome, I have zero ego whatsoever. My goal is just to get them better. I don't care what it takes, how it's going to be done. I don't care whether it's the doctor down the street that's going to do it. If, I, mm-hmm. if there's somebody that can take care of them better than me, I'm going to be the first one to send them there. Yeah. And I think they they feel that or sense that or mm-hmm. you know they resonate with it or whatever the case is. And truth resonates, so I think they, they feel that. But I mean, everybody in the medical profession has an ego, and it's, there's, there's nothing wrong with having that ego. What the problem is when the ego interferes with the uh, – or actually not only interferes but actually blocks the ability of the doctor to do what's best for the patient because right. their 
ego is first and foremost on their agenda and not the patient's best interest of the patient's outcome. Listen, it's easy once you learn it in a certain uh, realm in medicine or even homeopathy to dismiss out of hand anybody coming with other ideas. But, you know, I've always taken the attitude that, you know, if a patient comes to me with something that's working for them, I don't dismiss it out of hand. I want to know more about it. And, Absolutely. And, you know, that's where, yeah, I could have an ego, too, as a broadcaster is what I do in homeopathy. But, I mean, if I'm not invested in having the patient get well by any means, as I've said this many times, there are Hahnemaniacs, which are the, the early uh, adopters of Samuel Hahnemann, who believe only one single homeopathic remedy should be given at any time, any more than that, it's heresy. And, 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 and then there are those that, you know, work clinically and find that it may take more than that, maybe even combinations to address multiple things that are environmental that didn't exist 200 years ago among the German peasants, certainly, the farmers, if you will. And I think there's a point where you just let go of what you know, not to discard the knowledge, but to say, I'm always going to be open to embrace or learn something new. And that, that makes healing so exciting. Well, Robert, I, you know, I appreciate what you said, but to me, uh-huh. it's, I, don't, I don't even understand how can, there can be any other way or option. <laughs> I mean, yes. it, it, it seems so alien so to foreign, me that yeah. if we're taught A, B, and C, and somebody comes up and says, hey, you know, there's a way to actually uh, keep count of the herd of animals and the number of herds, uh, animals in your herd without using the alphabet, and it's called the number system. And hey, let me show it. I mean, to me, it would be, wait a second, this is a better tool for me to right. be able to utilize. What part of that is not... You know, it doesn't make any sense to me to see that there's any other option. And yet yeah. that seems to be the mainstay that it's a very uh, protective, like, you know, this is my territory, this sure. is my knowledge. And anybody who comes in and says something otherwise is stepping into my arena, my boundary, my, yes. my turf. Mm. And yet to, to me, it seems most evident that if you can take care of the individual regardless of what turf or what tool or what modality that you use and you get a better outcome, yeah. then why would you not want to get, garner that knowledge? Because the mm. lack of that knowledge is only hurting you, yourself, from being as good as you can be. Yeah, exactly. Well, we're going to talk more about this. It seems like uh, the, the turf wars don't only happen in medicine, certainly in politics and other areas. And finding the docs that are open to these ideas, these things, and finding someone that can work with you to help you in the way you need to go. That's part of the behind-the-scenes things we're doing today with Dr. Rashid Batar here on Advanced Medicine Monday edition of the Robert Scott Bell Show. It's always fascinating, and we've got a lot more fascinating things to do, including some news stories about uh, uh, treating cancer and other diseases that I think will be fascinating as well to cover. So we're going to do that more after this break. You're listening to the Robert Scott Bell Show. Remember, Dr. Batar is author of The Nine Steps to Keep the Doctor Away, and we always remind you how to get that as well, and we'll do that when we come back after this break. Scott Bell Scott Bell Show. Taking on bureaucrats and corporations that would stand in the way of health freedom. Here's Robert. Definitely rocking the health world here with Dr. Rashid Batar, Advanced Medicine Monday. Remember, if you'd ever like to be a part of the program, leave a message 24-7 at 866-939-BELL, 866-939-2355. All the links are up at robertscottbell.com, and you're listening through naturalnewsradio.com as well. Plenty of archives with Dr. Batar and I, and fantastic information available. Now, it's, I think dozens of hours at this point, so we're having a great time doing it. And Dr. Batar, one of the biggest questions that, that came to mind as we were talking last segment 
was, how can they see you, Dr. Batar? How? I mean, people all over the world are hearing this message and like going, this guy's cool, man. I, I think I could get some help from him. How do I see Dr. Batar? Well, Robert, you know, it's interesting. We've had patients from 72 countries now, uh, 42 different states. Um, but let's talk something a little bit different rather than because obviously I can't see everybody and, and I don't expect that people to come and see me. And there's many other good doctors out there. So I think we should talk about how a person can find the right doctor for themselves. I think we can um, highlight a couple of key points that an uh, individual can keep in the back of their mind when they meet a doctor and realize first and foremost that they have the right of making the choice. Many people think that when they go and see a doctor that they have to that they feel compelled that they have to do what the doctor said or that they have to see that doctor and you have to understand just like you have the choice of changing your grocer or changing your mechanic you can change your doctor so how should you find out or how can you find out I should say if the doctor is right for you well the first and foremost thing and is that okay with you Robert if you just discuss this absolutely no this is this is kind of the direction because I realized there's many people that would like to see a cool guy like you that knows healing and is open to things it's like an ideal situation and serious problems for people out there but we really need to go through the the, the ideas and how to navigate the terrain of all right there are other doctors out there that are good we acknowledge that we want people to find those docs but you know there's got to be some techniques some things to think about ask or whatever that would help us to determine it. Absolutely. And this is the reason that um, I've had patients come to me and say, well, you know, their grandparents went to DOs, their parents went to DOs and said they only want to see a DO. And I tell them that, look, you know, OK, I'm a DO, but that doesn't mean that all DOs are great or that doesn't mean that all DOs aren't great. It's just, you know, it's like everything else. Everybody has every profession has a couple that are really good and a couple that are really bad and the vast majority are OK. And so how do you find the right doctor for you and it has nothing to do with the degree it doesn't have anything to do with the philosophy you can have very allopathically trained doctors that are very open and receptive i mean i was one of those i was a very hardcore allopathic i didn't believe anything alternative you know 15 18 years ago before i started my clinic and and it kind of developed into that uh, train myself i mean it wasn't something that i orchestrated and actively thought and pursued it just ended up naturally occurring so there are many people out there allopathically oriented that may be the right doctor for you and they will grow and learn with you and that's the type of relationship you really want and then you may end up having some people that are very well versed in, in uh, alternative integrative uh, holistic medicine and yet you will not mix with them your energy won't resonate with them you will not be a good uh, fit right and so let's talk about that aspect because I think that probably is the most crucial aspect in order to invoke the process of healing is the connection between the individual that needs the help and the individual that is providing the assistance, the help, the physician. So if you walk into a room, now I'll preface this by saying this is just my opinion, but it has, patients have told me afterwards, or people have told me afterwards that they followed this and it truly, truly has has uh, helped them. And I, in fact, would patients when it comes to cancer, yeah. I will not let a patient make a decision after the initial consult. I tell them it is mandatory. In fact, people want to start their treatment the next day. And I said, no, you have to wait 24 hours. You have to pray and meditate about this. Yeah. And you have to feel whether this is the right thing for you. And if the feeling is that this is not right, the right clinic for you, that is the right answer for you. It right, is not right. the right clinic for you. And if it is that you get the feeling that this is the right place, then it is the right place. Because, you know, the universal consciousness, you know, source energy, God, the creator, mm -hmm. people say, well, he doesn't really talk to me. God talks to us all. It's that 
intuition. It's that sixth sense. Yeah, the, the gut feeling. So you're gut. saying that the first thing when you talk about walking in, maybe your first consultation, uh, you know, maybe it's it, if it's not you, it's somebody else. But you really want to take, even if they don't tell you what you've just said, take 24 hours. You really probably want to do get quiet. You know, things you go into contemplation, meditation, prayer, and really put it there so you can feel that this is the right path or not. Exactly, exactly. Because sometimes certain things will come to play, and they, you know, the doctor may be a very smooth talker. I've even told patients that myself. You know, they're ready to start this, that, and I say, hey, how do you know what I just said is true? Oh, because you're Dr. Bittar. And I said, but I could be anybody. And, you know, you can't take just my word for it. You got to go out there and you got to do your own exercise. God gave you a brain for a reason. Now you need <laughs> to go out and make sure that this is not only intellectually makes sense to you, that do your own research, but also allow that feeling, that, that guidance within yourself, that innate knowledge within yourself to tell you the truth, to, to feel it. And you need to be in a, in a place of stillness, like you said, yes. of quiet mm-hmm. and meditate, prayer, whatever the case is. But it's in that first five minutes. If you practice this, you know, everybody has experienced that emotion of a person walking in the room. You may not even know that individual. You may have just won the lottery. Everything's going great. And this person walks in and everybody's energy just, just down. It's just like for whatever reason, everybody feels bad. Or you could have had your house burned down. Somebody ran over your cat and this person walks in and you, for whatever reason, you just feel good because this person's energy is good. That's what I'm talking about, the chemistry. You know, yeah. in, in romance, they talk, call it chemistry, love at first sight. Within the first five minutes, you will know if that person that walks in the door, the doctor, is the right doctor for you. You just have to allow yourself to be still and feel. Sure. It's not even something that you're hearing or you're looking. It's just that feeling. Is right. this the right person? I, I think, I, Dr. Patar, if I may, you know, there's sometimes, though, that you, you, you're not – people aren't practiced in this, right? And, and they might not understand what you're talking about. And it's like, how do I put it into practice like that? How do I know I can trust my feeling? Because sometimes, it, it, you know, they might say, well, is it the fear of the treatment or the unknown about the treatment about it? And it's like these are subtleties that are hard to describe even as we converse on it. But Certainly, we're encouraging the practice of that because more often than not, we are there's an attempt being made to communicate with us on that level all the time. And Absolutely. Mo- most of the Constantly. time, we're too, we're too loud and too busy and too distracted, and we're trying to get to that point where we can actually hear it. Some people have told me that, well, you know, I'm not as intuitive as somebody else. You know what? Every human being on this planet has the ability to feel other people. I have, I have done this so many times, Robert. I have t- t- uh, taken people, mm-hmm. patients – and help them to realize this. And this, you know, some people would say, "Well, what's that got to do with healing?" Well, it's got to do with human interaction and human interaction. That's where the source, that fifth toxicity of emotions, and how people perceive each other and how they don't understand and misunderstandings and anger and forgiveness issues, and that manifest and become like festering abscesses within the body, and then cause that sickness to just exponentially worsen. Right. So, to be able to relate and to be able to feel an individual, and you know, it's it, it's not something that you can take a two-week course or something. It's just something, like you said, you need to practice it. Like anything else, it's just practice. It's allowing yourself to be still enough and get outside of your head and just, just that, what is that, the be, being still, listening to the yes. sound in between the notes of, I think um, maybe Wayne Dyer says that or somebody says that, you know, listen yeah. to the space in between the sounds and, and just be still and allow that feeling to tell you, to guide you. And it always does. You know whether um, walking out of the mall late at night into that dark area, you know, there's a, there's a sense that everything's fine. There's nothing right. to be worried about. And you walk into that dark area or you could be walking into a lit area and something tells you there's something not right here. Even though the environment in that dark area is more conducive to something negative happening inside you, you know, 
it's okay. I mean, I've done this sure. Yeah, I know. Times yeah. Because you know it's okay. Or you're walking down a certain way and it's totally lit and everything and something tells you you don't want to go down this way. This is not the right, you know, and sure enough, you know, a, a high-powered electric wire hits there 20 seconds later because you right. turn around and walk the other way and it hits right in front of you. I mean, all sorts of strange things like that, but my point is we are being guided all the time. And, you know, if this sounds a little foo-foo, <laughs> physical to anybody out there, I'm no. telling you, this is really something that we don't understand. You know, 2%, 1% of our brains are actually being utilized. What's the rest of the brain being utilized for? Mm-hmm. And they are people that have the ability to, to feel things, to sense things. And there are many p- people that are out there that are making a buck doing this. And actually, those people probably aren't to be trusted because there's nothing special about a person that can – feel and sense another individual because every human being has it. It's the fact whether or not we've ever turned on our radio and picked up on that frequency or not. That's really what it comes down to. And so to bring this full spectrum home, you know, full Mm -hmm. circle back to where we started, when you go into a doctor's office, my suggestion is see how that doctor interacts with you not by what they're saying, but how your energy feels, how you feel in their presence. Do you feel good? Do you feel bad? Right. I mean, you know, I inherently am late for my patients. I mean, the only patient I'm ever on time is the first patient of the day. Every patient after that, I don't care what happens, I'm always late. Why? Because that first patient may end up taking an hour and a half instead of an hour, and my patients have kind of gotten used to it that, you know, they don't even mind if I'm an hour late, hour and a half late, because they know I'm never going to rush them. And so sometimes, you know, my 4 o'clock patient, I don't get done with them until seven or eight o'clock and all wow. the staff's already gone and, and I'm just with the patient, but they've gotten used to it. So they, they, um, allow me that luxury. So my point mm. is that if the doctor's late or he's early or whatever, I'm not talking about all those type of things. You know, it can be frustrating, especially if you're schedule, you're behind schedule and you need to leave. What I'm talking about is when you're in the room with the doctor, mm. how do you feel? What is the presence? Is he 110% there? Is he tuned in? Is he, is his energy mesh with yours? Right. Does and it feel right? I can't overstate how important that is. It's extraordinarily uh, uh, precise in the way you describe it, too, because healing is about feeling as well, a very big part of it. And, of course, if these emotions are, are working against your success because, you you know, you go into a room and it feels as if you're a cat and being petted backwards against the grain – that is a very real thing that's going to get in the way of much of your healing. So to pay attention to these things could be a, the difference between surviving or not. Absolutely. So between success and failure, that's the definitive difference. And, you know, one of the things, Robert, is also mm-hmm. um, the emotional state of most patients when they're coming, at least in my practice, yeah. because they're coming for extreme things, you know, stroke, cancer, autism, whatever the case is. It's a one or the other. It's either fear-based um, or it's despair, and usually it's a combination of both. So how is the doctor responding to that stand, that, that sense that you're in, that state of being that you're in? Mm-hmm. So are they ignoring it? Are they downplaying it? Like one of the things I'll do, and again, every I'm different with every patient, and I don't even know why I'm different. It's just based <laughs> upon what I think the patient needs. Yeah. But you know, I've at my last cancer patient that I had on Thursday. You know, it was pretty funny. They they'd driven all the way from Maryland. Um, mm-hmm. Initial consult. You know, we do usually we'll they'll come in and for initial consult if they're from out of state or out of the country, we schedule them for two or three days because they for their physical blood work and our soda sure. collected all this other stuff. But if they're calling in, then there's no point. There's no reason to have them scheduled for a couple of days. They just you know do the one hour thing. We we talk however long they need, 
and then we schedule them out if they decide to go forward. Well, this patient had talked to one of my new staff members, and my new staff member didn't explain it well enough, so they came all the way on a Thursday, and as you know, Fridays we only open half a day for IV patients, so right. there was no way they could get the blood work and the physical and all that other stuff done on a Friday. Yeah. And so it was a little frustrating for them, and obviously it was frustrating for me because I'm like, well, wait a second, somebody scheduled this the wrong way, and now this poor family, you know, they drove all the way here, and now they're going to go back, and they got to come right. back again. So I'm sitting in there, and I, I have no idea why, but I started joking with them. And I, this is a person with a stage four cancer. He just found out two weeks ago. Wow. Um, you know, he's been scared senseless by two other doctors. Um, he had heard Burton Goldberg speak. He read Suzanne Summers' book, and then he wrote Ty Bollinger's book on cancer, Step Outside the Box. And so all these three d- uh, directions fed them back towards me somehow. I mean, I guess I mentioned Suzanne's book, and Burton mentioned me, and then I'm in Ty's book. So right. they, they kind of come over. So now he's in a very scared place. He's also um, not quite um oriented right now because he's you know it's kind of like getting hit by a baseball bat because he just found out and so you can tell that he was a little bit um confused about all the different things doctors hadn't told him uh, they hadn't staged him the right way you know they told him the cancer spread to his liver but they didn't tell him stage four blah 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 right so i started for whatever reason i joked about a couple of things and he started laughing so hard, and his wife smiled at me, mm-hmm. smiled at him. She starts laughing, and then she got tears in her eyes. Mm. And I thought, okay, you know, I step back. Now, the, the wife is not the one with the, the cancer. The husband was, right? Right. And I, I, I didn't know exactly where the tears were coming from, so I kind of, you know, kind of a little serious. And those tears were tears of happiness because she said to me, she said, I haven't seen my husband laugh. I haven't heard my husband laugh like this since he found out that he had cancer, which was in, like, last week of May. Wow. And just that component of it, you know. Yeah, and how you're compelled, how you're moved to move that direction. But, again, that's, I think that's the art of being a healer is being sensitive to those things. Sometimes they're beyond our mental thought. You don't go in and think, okay, I've got to do this now, the mechanism of I've got to make this patient laugh. But you're called to do it, and you do. And that's the gift that we'd like everybody to be open to. And when we come back, we'll talk more about this fascinating behind-the-scenes discussion here with Dr. Batar today on Advanced Medicine Monday. Also, some things to look out for the doctors if they do certain things, like they will mention. Maybe you might want to think, rethink that doctor. We'll, we'll let you know about those as well here on the Robert Scott Bell Show. Coming right back after this. All right, we're back at it with Dr. Rashid Batar here on the Robert Scott Bell Show. And as fascinating as fascinating he ever gets to get these behind-the-scenes looks in, into the the doctor and the doctor-patient relationship today, which is really cool and exciting for me as well to share this stuff because I know everybody ends up benefiting by it. But there are some things. I mean, we talked about some great things that docs can do and also the patients to kind of get a sense of the right doc to see, the right situation to be in. But there are some signs that we could, if, if I'm going to a doc, that if I see a doc do this, I might go, hmm, i got to rethink this. And I know you'll have some insights there as well, Dr. Batar. Well, you know, it's interesting you bring that up because uh, the Amsterdam Physicians Training Program, the doctor's training program that I have, um, I've had doctors actually ask me, how do I know uh, certain things or how do I, you know, know how to approach a patient when, when I walk in the room? And again, I've never been taught this. It's just that feeling. And I tell them to trust themselves. And it, this part that you just brought up, the things that doctors do that may indicate that 
that doctor may not be the right one for you. Yeah. I've actually talked to those doctors <laughs> that have come through my course that, hey, if you want to give it the right sense, you know, these are the these are maybe things you maybe want to consider. Like, for instance, this is really blatant, but, mm-hmm. you know, if a doctor, if you, you meet a new doctor and you're coming to this person to get better and the first thing they ask you is for your shot record to see, you know, if you updated your shots, that's probably not the right doctor <laughs> for you. That's a great but, one. It doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure that out. If they're talking about that kind of, you know, their, their idea of prevention is vaccinations, then that probably is not the right person. But, you know, to give you an example of the opposite extreme of what we just discussed in the last segment, Robert, yeah. if you are in front of a doctor, a new doctor, and you're telling them their problem, your problem, and they're writing, like I, I'm constantly writing. I'm not even looking at the patient. I'm writing. Mm-hmm. Now, there's... There's two ways to do this. You can be writing and totally ignore the patient, or you can be writing and totally 110% focus on the patient. How is that doctor dealing with you? In other words, you ask them a question, and they say, "Uh uh-huh. And you ask them another question, and they say, "Uh uh-huh. And then they hand you a prescription or whatever, and they don't answer any of your questions. I remember as a medical Mm -hmm. student and as as a, a resident seeing that where the patient would ask questions and I bet you every person listening to this radio show at least at one time or another has experienced this with a doctor where they'll ask a question the doctor will acknowledge that you heard the question but not answer it and the office visit will always end up with that question never having been addressed now conversely if the doctor says well I'll address that and then or, or let's say at the end of the at the end of the visit he summarizes everything he's done he's talked about and then he asks you do you have any other questions? Right. That's that's a person that is focused in on trying to get you better. Yes. And they're trying to answer the questions. I have been told by a couple of my patients, some of my patients have been, you know, with me a long time. They said that when they first came to me, um, and I've even had new patients tell me this, they have never heard a doctor say, I don't know as much as they've heard me say. <laughs> yeah, it's like, wait a second, you're not inspiring confidence, but quite the opposite. The sincerity, the honesty, the the humanity of that. Those three little words, I don't know, are so disarming and so they, they open you up to so many possibilities. But that's exactly what I tell them. I tell them, I, I'll, I'll find the answer, or I'll look for the answer, and many times the patients have helped me to find the answer. Robert, can you believe that? Yes. Where the patient has actually, after I said that, you know, I don't know the answer to that. You know, we'll have to look into it. And then the patient will bring me an article, and it's an interesting article. And, you know, nine out of ten times, you know, I've, I already know the information, or I've heard about it, or I've already done my research on it, and I'll tell them, yeah, but this is the problem with they didn't give this counterpoint or that argument. Yeah. But, you know, at least 10, 15% of the time, it's something that I've never heard of, never even contemplated. I had uh, I had a guy that recently came, you know, with the, the TV show thing that we talked about with the Medical Rewind. Yes, yes. That gentleman comes to me, and we're talking, and he's all, he's all excited about the TV stuff. And one of the most he, he, one of the most exciting things, you know, this is how the discussions go. He says to me, what do you know about red clover? And I said, red clover? Hmm. And he says, yeah. And I said, in what context? Yes. You know, because he, he knows that I, I have a ranch and, you know, I have yaks and I have all these animals. So I'm sure. thinking, is he talking about like agricultural feed for my animals? What does he mean? I yeah. said, in what context? He says, in a medical con- uh, context. And I said, I don't know anything about red clover. Why? Yeah. And he goes, have you ever heard about red clover for cancer? I said, no, but tell me more. Yes. And he told me about this guy that's an Amish guy that is up in the mountains in Tennessee somewhere. And he's not even a doctor, but he has people that are coming from all over. And he's using some kind of tincture with red clover. And he's looking at me and he's telling me all this stuff. And I'm sitting there just you know, fixated on his face. Yeah. And he goes, I just thought you might be interested. I said, interested? When do we go see this yeah, guy? Let's go. Let's go. Yeah. You know, I mean, I'd never even heard about that. So, I mean, there's so many different things. It's just like what you said. The 
possibilities become endless mm. when you open yourself up. Yeah. And in the words of Wayne Dyer, be open to everything and attached to nothing. Um, it's it's a liberating experience, and there's no other way for me to actually even say it. It's a liberating experience no, for the yeah. patient and for the doctor. And then your whole staff becomes the same way, and they're bringing ideas. And, and, and I'm not saying that you have to take everything in. Uh, and accept it. Sure, all not every not every to- option or suggestion will be valid, but I mean exactly. the fact that even the fact that a patient feels open. Because remember, we started this discussion with that USA Today article about patients lying to their doctors or not, you know, revealing. It's like if you have an atmosphere of openness, you don't ridicule a patient for an idea. Suddenly, they're open to it. Just that simple act of opening up, even if it's the wrong idea, it's the openness that brings Absolutely. the healing. I mean that that's that's what's beautiful about this. And one other thing that I told my doctors uh-huh. that came through my training program is that if they want to really, you know, connect with the patient, always be focused on them. I mean, I don't allow any of my staff, and of course myself, neither, we don't wear cell phones in with patients. Never. I never have a cell phone with me. If I'm on a phone consult on the phone and I'm at my desk, maybe my cell phone may ring, but if I'm not, if I'm with a patient inpatient, there's never a cell phone anywhere. They are to be focused 110% of the patient. And I've told my docs that have gone through my training program, yeah. one of the simplest things to do, and if you're a patient or if you're a person listening to this and you want to know how to know if that's the right doctor, does that doctor sometime during their office visit, either when they meet you towards the end, do they touch you? Put, you know, I've told my docs, just touch the patient. Just put your hand on their shoulder. You know, just... Uh, you know, when you shake their hand, just hold it for a second longer. Right. You know, just connect with the person because that physical touch, so many people are literally starving for that physical touch. Very true. Starving for that physical touch. Yeah. No, I mean, these are all great insights and, and some things that people can take away, very practical uh, knowledge they can put into experience so that if they ever find themselves in a situation where they're looking for a doctor or a healer, and as we know, it could be a doctor of any type as well. The same principles should or, or would apply. Uh, and it, it, it transcends degrees or mm-hmm. education. It's, it's, it's just the, the sincerity of what a person you know, has uh, and wanting to try to help you. And you had mentioned, you know, things that you want to look out for that that may indicate the doctor is not the right one for you. Yep, yep. If they're not paying attention to you, if you feel, you know, you know when somebody's paying attention to you and you also know when the person's not paying attention to you. You know, if they look at your, their watch, their, their sense of presence is not there. Uh, that, that's not a person that you should go back to. I mean, I don't care what anybody says. If you are sick, you need to have somebody that is focused and getting you better no matter what the, mm. what the issues are, what other, you know, no matter what the stock market's doing, no matter, you know, what time it is to the golf tee, if all the golf guys are out there, whatever <laughs> the case is, it doesn't matter. Yeah. The most important thing is to get you better. That's what you want to be focused well, on. Well, you mentioned one of the things to look out for. If, if one of the first things they ask you for is your shot records to be sure you're up to date, maybe you want to rethink that. And here's a story from Medical News Today, in fact, and I've got this linked up at the blog at robertscottbell.com. It says, vaccinate adults to protect children. Dr. Pitar, have you been seeing these commercials now that the way they're promoting these things? Uh, yeah, pertussis, you know, big thing, whooping cough. Do it now. now they're, they're trying to make parents feel guilty. Like, hey, get your vaccine yourself because otherwise, you could be the reason that your child gets sick and then ends up having respiratory distress and possibly even have a um, you know can can die from that, have a, have a lethal complication from it. Yeah. It's just absolutely absurd. because they're talking about the parents carrying it. As you know, mm-hmm. being carriers. Right, right. And so every parent is guilty until proven innocent. Let's see your shot record or else we're going to accuse you of 
while medically assaulting your child with a, a microbe. And, and they just don't get it. I mean, of course, they don't want to get it. I mean, the, the whole idea is to sell vaccines. But, you know, the idea that we could be healthy first and that the terrain is important and that learning about the environment we live in via the natural interaction and the fact that we can help people and children through these diseases without assaulting them. I mean, these things are foreign concepts to a lot of allopathic medicine even today. I agree with you. It is uh, very much a, an, almost like an alien thought for, for many, many doctors out there mm-hmm. and, and many patients out there. But I think that the advent of the Internet now has allowed more and more people to get the truth and find out the facts for themselves. Yeah. And uh, you know, this concept of informed consent, mm-hmm. it, it, is, it is a beautiful concept. Unfortunately, it has been absolutely mutilated and, and abandoned. It has. It, I mean, they still use those words like evidence-based medicine. I love the way that they <laughs> they use these words that are the right words, and they are completely hollow, empty. Yeah, the opposite. They yeah. mean the opposite thing. Evidence-based medicine. The, today's definition of evidence-based medicine is anything but a based upon evidence. <laughs> it's, it's just so bizarre. It really is. Listen, we got to take another break here. Uh, fascinating discussion with Dr. Rashid Bittar. Again, we'll tell you how to get the nine steps to keep the doctor away as well in the next segment. And a little bit more on some of the things to look out for. If your doc does this, you might want to look the other way as it ties into uh, some uh, cancer issues as well. Big time, weird stuff going on in, in medicine. I'll ask Dr. Bittar about when we come back from this break on the Robert Scott Bell Show. same boring health talk radio then turn up the volume and break off the knob this is the robert scott bell show Robert Scott, the Robert Scott Bell Show. Thanks again to Natural News Radio, as well as uh, shout out to the Prepper Podcast Radio Network as well for carrying the Robert Scott Bell Show every day. You know, in addition to the issues that uh, Dr. Batar has brought up to help guide us to choose the right kind of doc for us, uh, we were reviewing some stories. One, this one off the New York Times. And if you think I'm exaggerating when I talk about Nazi medicine, this will have you cringing as I'm talking about it. The article headline reads, Hot Chemotherapy Bath, Patients See Hope, Critics Hold Doubts. Listen to this, Dr. Batar. This is cancer therapy at its most aggressive. A treatment patients liken to being filleted disemboweled, and then bathed in hot poison. These are not the words of Robert Scott Bell. These are the words of the New York Times. (laughs) If your doctor thinks this is good for cancer, you might want to not walk, but run the other way. Oh, goodness. You know, it's amazing to me they actually even open the article like that. Because, I mean, if I heard those words, I would put... If I was a betting man, I'd say, that's Robert Scott Bell talking. <laughs> I know. I, I, if I looked at this, I could have come up with that. But they're actually using the word. Yeah, so, exactly. You know, I th- the, the, the author is Andrew Pollack from uh, the New York Times. <laughs> that is a shocker in itself. Uh, I, I think that, you know, when we talk about, you know, cancer, as we have a lot of the time, you know, we've been together because people are fascinated and need to be because a lot of cancer going on. But the whole concept of chemotoxicity, it's like you know, chemotherapy. It's not therapy. It's chemotoxicity. As a, a legitimate means by which you can heal a disease of toxicity, it's absurd. But now this takes it to another level. They basically cut you open, bathe your organs in not just chemotherapy. We're going to heat it up. 
heat it up first. I mean, ah, I, you know, I'm thinking this is the onion, but it's not. The New York Times is covering this. Well, I think the only way you can equate this, Robert, is really it's like trying to put out a fire with gasoline. Real. That's the only way that you can even look at chemo. And now the way they're talking about bathing, and this is like doing a peritoneal lavage with chemotherapeutic agents. And right. This would be like taking um, jet fuel. Hmm. And throwing that on a fire. Well, and, and you know, I remember a scene from one of Mel Gibson's movies. Uh, what was it where he was playing w- a William Wallace? And it was a historical thing, but it was the most brutal scene I'd ever seen in a movie at the end yep. where they literally open him up and they, they pull out yep. your... You know, I don't even want to say it, but I mean, this is what doctors are licensed to do? I mean, this is, this is torture, beyond torture. I believe, and you've heard me say this before, that the current period of medicine will be remembered in the future as being the most barbaric and i'm not talking about compared to even like 100 years ago when they used to do you know when they used to do like surgeries without general anesthesia or anything like that i'm talking about most barbaric when it comes to chronic disease like cancer yeah and some of these other conditions and this is this it's uh you know you've said it well so many times killing the patient trying to cure a disease and it just doesn't make any sense when you start to understand that the disease is really not the problem it's a, it's a nothing more than the symptom of an mm. underlying pathology and that pathology is a toxicity issue yeah well you know we we like to talk about positive things here and the good things in medicine and, and that's why we wanted to discuss a lot of the things we talked about today on the show we would be remiss if we didn't recognize that there's you know a barbaric side to this that we many many people I, honestly they listen to this show they're probably aware of it but even the, I could not pass this one up because this took the what what's the worst and made it even worse if that was possible and so how do we you know get to the point where we shun these docs because as you said this is something that is inhumane even yeah and what that, that's true and and any benefit that anybody would get from something like this from from a chemotherapeutic agent or any any other type of palliative treatment like a radiation or surgery which is not considered to be quote palliative but that's really all it ends up being because when you look at more than one year outcome there is no increase in survival whatsoever and there's only a temporary reduction in tumors which within a year year and a half they come back to the same size and then they grow so it's completely a waste of time effort money uh, mm-hmm. and causes a tremendous amount of increased harm to the individual. In fact, there was a Russian study, and I think I talked to you about this, um, never got translated into other languages. The only reason I'm aware of it was because I had a Russian doctor that worked for me for a while. Yeah. And that Russian study, they took uh, lung cancer patients and breast cancer patients, divided them into two groups. One group they uh, treated conventionally with whatever was indicated, chemo, radiation, surgery. The other group, they did nothing, nothing. Mm-hmm. I mean, no treatment, no medicines, no vitamins, no Lifestyle changes, if they smoked, they let them continue smoking. They did whatever they wanted to do. Yes. They didn't do anything. And they found that the group that they did no intervention, not even lifestyle, not even a discussion on what they should you know, eat or nothing, no, no dietary changes, nothing, had a three, more than a three-and-a-half-time increase in survival. <laughs> they, they lived three-and-a-half times, more than three-and-a-half times longer and the patient and, population that underwent conventional therapy and, and, and enjoyed their lives they're, they're, they're much more than those that were just being brutalized by the treatment. And, you know, like I said, I, I don't like to discuss these things, Dr. Batar, because it's not pleasant. But at the same time, who among us has not been touched by someone with cancer or had it themselves that needs to hear the brutal truth so that they can, again, take the information that we shared even today and the many other Advanced Medicine Mondays we've done together 
and 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 really make these informed really the real word informed decision not the phony words like you mentioned a number of words that they they like to say evidence based but they're hollow they mean nothing anymore and we want to put the meaning back in them so that the docs that are out there doing good are being recognized for what they're doing and the patients that genuinely need the help can get it one out of two men and one out of three women in the United States, according to the National Cancer Institute and the American Cancer Society, at some point in their lives will hear the words, I'm sorry to say that you have cancer. Well, that's why I want everybody to get a hold of your book, Dr. Batar. We've talked about it, but there are many new listeners each week here on the Robert Scott Bell Show, and they may not be aware of your wonderful book, best-selling book, in fact, The Nine Steps to Keep the Doctor Away. And I always put these links up there in my show notes at robertscottbell.com. But there are ways, if you're, if you're going to get it through Amazon or all the traditional means as well, we've got a link up through Medical Rewind as well, and we've got links to drbatar.com. But my goodness, the nine steps to keep the doctor away covers a lot of these things we talked about and beyond with the practical tools and tips. Even if you never see a doctor, if you take what Dr. Batar has put in that book, you'll likely never need to in the sense of cancer. Well, I appreciate you saying that, Robert. It, is, uh, it has been a good guidance from what patients have given me feedback that they've uh, found to be extremely helpful in many different aspects and and there obviously it's more than just the the hardcore medicine part that we talk about in there and a lot of people have been moved by the stories and, and these are all true stories so yes i appreciate you mentioning the book um, but i think that one thing that i would like people to remember from at least this segment that we've done is to allow the inner guidance your inner voice to guide you in other words that Sixth sense, the intuition that we talk about, that is God talking to you. That is the creator. That is source energy. That is the mm-hmm. universal consciousness connecting to you and guiding you. So just beautiful. allow it to guide you. Yes, beautiful. One of the most important of our hours together, I believe, today with that information alone. Life-changing, life-saving, and empowering in all the ways that we're committed to do here on the Robert Scott Bell Show. And especially every Monday when we do our advanced medicine segments together, Dr. Batar. Robert, I wouldn't miss it. Mondays are a great day for me because I look forward to doing the show with you. And I'll just share something with you that one of the most compelling things for me is whenever I hear you say this. And so I'm going to finish the show today by saying that the power to heal is yours. Yes, it is. 